You're listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCCW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe and worldwide at IRLoneStar.com. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're having a great Friday today. We're all excited about the weekend. You are joining us on the Extension Hour on Lone Star Community Radio. My name is Caroline Cruz, and I will be serving as your host today. And we're going to be talking about a couple of different things this afternoon. Again, um, just to kind of give you a quick uh, introduction, my name is Caroline Cruz, and I'm a county extension agent here in Montgomery County with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. Um, I am joined here by a couple of guests that we'll be talking to. And if any of this sounds interesting to you or if you need more information, you can always contact us at your county extension office. Um, Our phone number is 936-539-7823, extension 3, and we can help you out with any questions that you might have. And this afternoon, I am joined here right now by a county 4-H member, and her name is Kayla. How are you doing, Kayla? I'm doing great. <laughs> Good. Um, you may have heard Miss Kayla before. She has been on the show in the past. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in your County 4-H program. And um, we'll talk about some things that we just finished wrapping up and a couple of things that will be coming up, too. Um, to give you just kind of a quick overview of the 4-H youth program, we have here in Montgomery County... Um, over 1,000 4-H members that are enrolled in Montgomery County 4-H. And those members range from being in the third grade all the way through seniors in high school. So a wide uh, age range that participate in the 4-H program. And Kayla's going to tell us a little bit about the 4-H club that she is a member of. Here in our county, we have over 20 different 4-H clubs that members can choose to participate in. A few of them are in multiple clubs. Um, We have some project clubs as well, which happens to be one of the clubs that Kayla is a member of, is a project-based club. What that means is that her club is a little bit more focused on a specific project, but she can do any type of activity that she wants because she is a member of 4-H. So Kayla, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how old you are how long you have been a member of 4-H, and tell us what club you're a member of. All right, so I am 15 years old, and my club that I belong to is the Dog Club. I have been in 4-H for going on my eighth year, and as I mentioned before, the Dog Club is my main club, and we focus on training and showing dogs for competitions. Um, So currently, the dog I'm showing with now, I have had him for six years and he has been my first dog that I showed and I showed with him and what I do is I go and I practice with him we have a project leader that helps us train our dogs and then I go and participate in 4-H and professional dog shows all across the state of Texas. Awesome tell us a little bit about um, some of your experience specifically with the dog that you just told us about tell us a little bit more about your dog. Um, His name is Trinity. He is almost seven. He is a Border Collie Golden Retriever mix. And the thing I like about 4-H is you don't have to have a purebred dog. I know a lot of times dog shows, you know, they tell you you have to have a purebred dog, and that's kind of the stigma you get about it. But in 4-H, you can have whatever kind of dog you want. Um, I rescued my dog from the Montgomery County Animal Shelter, and he has been the best dog ever. Um, I am very advanced in dog shows because of him. He is really obedient. He's super smart. And we've done a lot of awesome things at dog shows. So that's really neat what you talked about, um, that you don't have to have an expensive dog. You don't have to have a specific breed of dog to participate in the 4-H dog project, which is really appealing, which is probably um, one of the reasons why we like to talk about the dog project. Because you can just think about your friends and family and how many of them actually have a dog at home. Quite a few. Um, tell us a little bit about um, about your club. How many members about are in your club? Have you guys grown over the past few years? Um, we have probably about 30 to 40 members. 
And I'm not sure exactly how that lines up with our numbers in the past, but what I have noticed is our club has really gotten a lot better about branching out. We're not just a dog club anymore. That is our main project. That is our title as a dog club. But we have quite a few members now actually that show livestock. We have a couple that show goats. We have a couple that are now showing heifers. Those are cows. And they just show lots of other animals. And so it's really nice to see our club, you know, not just be the dog club. And we really branch out and we've kind of tried some different projects. I know something else that your club in particular has been really um, involved in the past few years, too, are the 4-H food and nutrition projects and the 4-H clothing and textile project. And I know you specifically have been involved in both of those. So tell me a little bit about what those activities are that you've been a part of. So the food and nutrition project is basically everything to do with food, um, specifically the pro- the competitions I do within the food nutrition project is something called food challenge. And if you've ever seen the show chopped, it's exactly like that. Um, we're given a random list of ingredients, except these ingredients are taken specifically from a recipe just without the steps. And then we have to use our supplies that we are given according to a certain list. And we have to make a dish. Now the difference between food challenge and chopped is that in food challenge, we really delve into the nutrition part of it. We have to know all the nutrients. We have to know how many servings of each food group we have to have per day. We have to know kitchen safety. So it's really nice to be able to apply that. And I also do um, baking for the fair. Um, That's another great thing about 4-H is you don't have to show animals to enter in the fair. Um, I live in a neighborhood. I have no room for animals. The only animal we're allowed to have is a dog. And so it's really nice that I can still participate in the fair. So I do baking And there's a lot of different um, categories that go into that. Now, for the clothing and textiles, that's your sewing project. That's your fashion. Um, I do fashion show, which is basically you pick an an outfit or a garment and you model it in front of judges. And it, once again, like with food challenges, not just, you know, how it looks on you. It's also what it's made of, how you take care of it. And it goes a little bit deeper into clothing. And it's really helped me to really go beyond just looking at what it looks like, but also how much it costs what it's made out of. Tell me about another team contest that you've participated in that is related to the clothing projects. This is probably one of my favorite competitions. It's called Duds to Dazzle. And what it is, is we are given a article of clothing. Um, I've been given scrubs, jeans, a t-shirt, a men's t-shirt and a tie. And once again, this is a team competition and you're given these garments and you have to turn it into something new. So you may take the jeans and turn it into a skirt, turn it into a vest. There's also different categories within that. There's wearable, which is your clothes, you know, your shorts, your shirts, your dresses, all those things. There's non-wearable. And this is usually like pillows, stockings, things you have around your house. And then there's accessories. And this is jewelry, belts, purses, all those different things. So it goes once again beyond this clothes. I've made a pillow, a stocking, a belt. I've made a dog vest. I've made a lot of different things in that. That's really fun as well. Sounds like a lot of fun. Um, There's some other things I know you've participated in too at something that we call 4-H Roundup. So tell me a couple of those and explain to the listeners some of the other activities that you're involved in specifically at Roundup. So Roundup is just a big competition for 4-Hers where we go and we do all different kinds of projects, all different types of categories, and we go with lots of other counties. Um, so one of the other projects that I do at Roundup is something called Discover the Scientific Method. And it's basically science fair for 4-H. So I just take my science fair project from school and I go in and I put it in the 4-H competition and it's just a science fair. And it's a really great way for me to practice public speaking and get a little bit more experience with those kind of things. And along the lines of public speaking, I also do something called educational presentation. And that is where it's a speech, but it's with a slideshow or a poster. They can do it on any topic you want. And it's a really nice way for me to talk about other things that I do. And there's another contest I know you've done before, too, that's called Share the Fun. What can you tell us about that contest? Share the Fun. um, I'm so mad I forgot about it because it's it is honestly probably the best thing. It's so much fun. It's a talent show. So you, there's all different kinds of things. There's dancers, there's singers, there's skits, which are so hilarious. But I do singing specifically. Um, and it's just a bunch of different categories in it. And it's just a talent show. You go up and you show your talent. 
and you're judged on your poise, your confidence, and your skill. And one year, I believe you also did another share the fun category called choreographed routine. Yes, I did. Kind of branched out a little bit with a little bit about outside my comfort zone. And I um, choreographed a solo that I performed at Roundup as well. So if you can tell just by listening to Kayla, she is a very well-rounded 4-H member. She's super involved um, in her own projects that she likes to do in her club as well. Um, with county council, you're a county council officer too. Tell us what um, officer position that you're holding this year. I'm currently on the publicity officer, and that just means that I do things like this. I go on the radio and I talk about 4-H and I do some social media. And really just my job is just to really show people, you know, what 4-H actually is and to get a lot, a lot of people more involved. So we talked a little bit about some of your projects and things that are fun that you like to do in 4-H. Um, another big part, in case listeners aren't aware of this, but community service and leadership are a huge part of the 4-H program. So tell us a little bit about some of the community service type projects that you've been involved in. Um, they have ranged from a wide variety. I've been to the Montgomery County Animal Shelter many times. I have been to a food pantry a few times. My main project I'm really working on now is something we call One Day 4-H. And it is where one day every 4-H, every 4-H member in America goes out and they do community service. And this year, I had the amazing privilege of going to the East Texas Dream Center in downtown Conroe. And for those of you that don't know, the East Texas Dream Center is a place for women and children to go and just have a place to stay when they don't have somewhere to go. And so this year, um, me and some of my other fellow 4-H club members, we went and we helped to serve the homeless lunch, which was super fun. And then we helped them to organize um, some clothes that they had had. Um, as you all know, Hurricane Harvey was you know, a huge issue that Texas faced. And so I had the amazing privilege of helping to organize hundreds and hundreds of tons of clothes that were donated to the Dream Center. And we were helping to organize them, put them into boxes, and they were shipped to, they were shipped all over Texas. They were shipped down um, to Puerto Rico. They were shipped to Louisiana. And it was just really amazing to be able to help with something that made such an impact. Wonderful. Um, if someone was interested in helping with that service project, what would you suggest for them to do? I would suggest getting in touch with the Dream Center. Um, they do have a website. I'm not sure the exact web address, but you can Google it. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Just make sure you type in East Texas Dream Center Conroe, and you can go on there, and it has their email and their phone number. Just call them, see what they're doing, and when you get there, you can sign up to be a volunteer on a regular basis, or you can just go on one specific day. But there's always something to do, which is the great thing about it. Um, because they're such a diverse thing, they do things also for the community, which is awesome. You know, a lot of people come in and help them, but they also have volunteers that go out with them as the Dream Center themselves goes out and does things for the community. There's always something to do. There's always something that you can go there and help with. So why is serving others, um, helping out in your community, why is that important to you? Um, just mainly through 4-H has really helped me see how much people actually, you know, help how much people actually care. And especially, you know, with Harvey and seeing all the things that have happened, it's really nice to be able to give back to the community that's given you so much. Um, especially in 4-H, you really love helping out at 4-H things because 4-H has really helped me grow. And to go out and do those 4-H things, you know, for little kids or for even just helping out a fellow, fellow 4-H member, it's really amazing to give back to something. Very good. Good for everybody to know and be a part of. There's always some... Um, a group or a cause that could use some help. Um, and it, it just, it helps you, it helps other people. You feel good about doing that as well. And it just reminds us um, of being grateful for the things that we have and how we can kind of spread that to help others. So I'm, I'm really proud of you for doing that and for being a part of that with your 4-H club as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are there any other um, upcoming events that you have going on with 4-H that you may want to talk about or share? Um, it's not really a 4-H event, but I do have a, we, there's a big dog show. It's the Conroe Kennel Club dog show, and it's at the fairgrounds. And it's not a 4-H dog show. It's an AKC dog show, which AKC is a big organization that sets standards for breeds and has a bunch of different shows. 
And so I'm going to the fairgrounds this weekend and I'm going to be showing with my dog. And I really like going to AKC shows because it kind of gets me out there. Because before it shows just kids. But when I go to AKC shows, I'm competing against adults. And I'm getting to meet other handlers, other breeders. And it really gives me a lot of good connections. So if there was someone out there listening, maybe um, a parent or someone your age, and they think, you know what, I have a dog at home. Or this coming up year, our family's going to get a new dog. But I don't think I could ever do a dog show. What would you tell them? It's not as bad as you think, <laughs> honestly. I used to be so scared, so timid. My first dog show was, honestly, I was so freaked out. I mean, it's it's a whole new world. It really is. And when you go to your first dog show, whether you're showing in it or just going to experience it, it's going to blow your mind. It's It's something completely new. But don't be overwhelmed. You know, especially if you go into it really prepared. And as you train your dog, you really form a really great bond. And you go in and you'll see that your dog is really going to do the do the best they can for you because they really want to please you. So if you just go in, you know, just expecting to do your best and just have fun because when you're having fun, your dog's having fun. And when you're having fun, you do a lot better. And the main point, like you said a little bit earlier, um, is that you can, if you already have a dog at home, Mm -hmm. you can work on this project with your family pet already. Or if maybe you're going to be getting a dog or adding one to your family this coming year, if you went to the shelter and adopted a dog, that can make the perfect fit for this yes, project. You, definitely. You don't have to um, think that you can only do that if you spend a lot of money or have extra resources. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a few success stories just from your 4-H club mm-hmm. um, about dogs that have come from shelter or from rescue and that are doing great things in the dog project. Mm-hmm. So that's always, yep, always good for people to know and to understand that part. All right, Miss Kayla. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and for telling us a little bit about yourself, about the projects that you are involved in in 4-H. And I know all of this because I know you pretty well, but I think to everyone else listening, they can just hear how devoted you are, how involved you are. Um, You do all these things on top of having school. (laughs) So you're super involved and active and you're also active in other things as well outside of 4-H. So we're always glad um, to have you on and to talk about some of those things. And um, you really are a great example of a well-rounded active 4-H member. And thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, ma'am. Well, we will be back um, here shortly with a few other guests that we have. And you're listening to the Extension Hour on Lone Star Community Radio. Hispanic Chamber Connections with Dr. Carlos Sanchez, president of the Woodlands Conroe Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, featuring event announcements, member highlights, and more. Tuesdays at 1 p.m., broadcasting from the heart of Conroe, Texas, on IRLoneStar.com and Conroe's FM 104.5-106.1. Welcome back to the Extension Hour on Lone Star Community Radio. My name is Caroline Cruz. I am a county extension agent here in Montgomery County with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. Um, you just heard, um, if you're listening a little bit ago, with Miss Kayla. She is a 4-H member here in Montgomery County. One quick thing for me to add on. You heard Kayla talk a lot about the activities and the programs that she is involved in. Here in Montgomery County, our 4-H is run off of a fundraiser. That's how we're able to help our young members participate, compete, go to camps, learn about leadership. And that is through our annual 4-H pecan fundraiser. And we still have some fresh Texas pecans available at the Extension Office. Feel free to drop in and pick some of those up whenever you can. So here moving into our next part of the Extension Hour, I'm joined by three other guests this afternoon. And we're going to talk with you a little bit about a youth program that is part of the Extension Service and works with schools. So here today, I have um, some lovely ladies, and I'm going to introduce them real quick and also let them, um, we'll talk a little bit about what this program is, what the involvement is, and how it's worked at their school campus. So we have um, the main school that we're going to be talking about today is Bear Branch Elementary School in Magnolia ISD. 
and we have um, Mary Decker. And Mary is a Montgomery County Master Gardener. So she is an extension volunteer with the Master Gardener Program. Hey, Mary. Hi. I'm glad that you're able to make it today. So glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have Miss Sue Buchholz. And Miss Buchholz is a teacher at Bear Branch. And she is a fourth grade teacher. She's been really involved in this program that we're going to talk about. Hi, Miss Buchholz. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on today. And then we're also joined by a parent volunteer from Bear Branch Elementary. This is Miss Laura Ashtay. Hi. How are you, Laura? Good, thank I'm you. So glad that you're able to come in today. And you have a second grader and a fifth grader at Bear Branch. Yes, I do. Awesome. Okay, so what we're going to talk about specifically is a youth program called Junior Master Gardener. And I just mentioned that Mary is a Montgomery County Master Gardener. So she's an adult volunteer with the extension program. Junior Master Gardener is kind of based off the Adult Master Gardener program, but obviously it's for kids. The really neat part about Junior Master Gardener, and we call it JMG. So in case you hear us called JMG, that's what it stands for. It's actually an international program that is offered through the National Extension Service. So throughout other states in the country, and actually it is international. We have JMG in Korea. We have it all over the world. Um, it's a really great program. Um, the purpose or the mission of JMG is growing good kids by igniting a passion for learning, success, and service through unique gardening education. And so we're going to talk about the JMG program and how it has um, been integrated into Bear Branch Elementary. And we'll talk a little bit about um, what they have going on in their garden program there at the school. So let's talk a little bit about the school. Tell us about how many students are on campus at your school. Oh, I think we have probably around 600 mm -hmm. in the 600 range. We are a K through five school. Um, we have a, a diverse population. Um, we offer many clubs before school. We have the Scrabble Club, the choir, um, Lego Club, just to try to get the kids interested in something that's not academics, but also some, something fun. Good, good. Um, tell us a little bit. We'll start back with you, Ms. Buchholz. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about... Um, your time at Bear Branch, how long have you been teaching? What uh, grade levels have you worked with? Maybe what's your favorite <laughs> subject or thing that you love about um, being a teacher? Right now I'm teaching fourth grade math and science. Um, I have taught for 35 years in Magnolia. Most of my time has been at Bear Branch. Um, I've taught first grade, second grade, third through fifth pullout GT program, and now fourth grade. So I've taught a lot of different subjects. I like fourth grade. I like math. Um, it's easy to integrate the gardening into the math and science. So that works well for my class. Good. And we're so glad that you could uh, get away from campus <laughs> this afternoon and come with us on the show. So are my kids. They were supposed <laughs> to take a math test this afternoon. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So you're like the hero of the week. Yes, I am. <laughs> really good. Um, Okay, uh, Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe about your family and um, kind of how you've started with this program being involved. Okay, um, we have lived in Magnolia for five years and the kids have been at Bear Branch and I work at home, so I'm able to volunteer for the JMG in the mornings because it's early in the mornings and um, the kids love it. <laughs> they love the JMG program, and um, it's uh, both both of my girls are in it, and they've um, they've learned so much about the gardening. Good, um, very good. We'll talk a little bit more about that too. Yeah. Um, Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Um, how long have you been a master gardener here in Montgomery County, and a little bit about um, why Bear Branch has kind of been important and special to you. Well, I've been a master gardener for five years, and I've been involved in the junior master gardening program at Bear Branch for five years. And it got started 
um, because my son was in fifth grade at Bear Branch the year I became a master gardener. And the principal at that time, Mrs. Ward, was very interested in having a gardening club at the school. And the reason why Bear Branch is so special to me is because all four of my children have gone to Bear Branch from kindergarten all the way up to fifth grade. Good. So it's a special place in my heart. Good deal. Um, tell us a little bit about, and, and I'll let each one of you kind of speak on on your part of it, a little bit about um, why Junior Master Gardener was brought to the school, kind of how that started off, um, and what, when you were thinking about it in the beginning, kind of what were the goals for that? Mary just kind of mentioned that um, the principal at the time was really interested in that. Um, so tell us a little bit about the history of JMG at your school. Well, Mrs. Ward wanted to start a native Texas garden. I think that's one place it started. And then one of the kindergarten teachers wanted to start a butterfly garden. So those are the two places that we started at. Mm -hmm. And it, it expanded a little from that. They incorporated second grade by adding, I think, five vegetable beds. And so it kind of just kept growing and growing until she asked me to come on and we started just gardening with the fifth graders. And then I started incorporating the junior master gardening curriculum uh, into the club activities that mm -hmm. we did. And like Ms. Buchholz just said, we used the butterfly garden as a place to garden. They have a wonderful greenhouse that was donated by parents, PTO support, and businesses. So the children can grow their own plants there in the greenhouse and then transplant them to the vegetable beds, grow their own vegetables. So it just has kind of continued to grow um, over the past few years. Wonderful. Um, you talked a little bit about, um, Laura mentioned this, about how the um, it's structured at the school. So Junior Master Gardener in general, um, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, and Mary just brought this up too, it's a curriculum program. So there is curriculum that's available. It was uh, developed for different grade levels, and that's um, a resource that you can tap into through your local extension office. So again, you could always call us or find us online and we can help you um, just go through the process to see if this sounds like something's interesting. And it doesn't just have to be at a school. JMG is a really flexible program. So it can be used in schools. It can be used in after-school programs. We've done JMG in after-school programs here in the county um, at the YMCA. At, um, we've had several different scout troops that have been involved in the past um, at church schools, different, any, basically any organization that works with youth can utilize this program to best fit their needs. And uh, you mentioned a little bit, Laura, about the program at Bear Branch, that it's um, a before school club. Yes. Can y'all tell us a little bit about how that structure is set up and uh, what the students do and it's kind of neat that you do that before school and how, how are they motivated to come and do that first thing bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning? Well, um, the school has a lot of, they offer a lot of clubs um, before school and um, JMG is one of them. So we get there, it's 7.20 now. Right. It, it was 7.30. Now we get there at 7.20 in the morning, very early. And, um, and that allows us, we... Have 30, 40, 40 minutes, 40 minutes. minutes to do everything in the mornings. And the kids, they get there mm -hmm. and they enjoy it. And so they offer a lot of clubs, though, mm -hmm. at the school. So Is it available for, does it matter what grade level the student is in at Bear Branch for them to participate in that? It does. Um, it's third, fourth, and fifth grade this year mm -hmm. that, that can do JMG. Mm -hmm. How many times um, a month do they participate? Is it weekly? Is they meet once a week on Monday mornings. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And a Monday morning. Monday so Monday morning. starting <laughs> off the week right. Very Rainer. good. <laughs> and about how many students are in the group right now? We've got about 20, 20 students this mm -hmm. year. Yeah. Uh, we're getting a little competition with some of the other clubs. <laughs> <laughs> we offer so many great clubs. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's wonderful for them to, that's kind of a good problem to have that they have so many choices that they can do and participate in. So that's, that's really good. Um, tell us a little bit about 
Um, and Mary, you, you can probably speak on some of this too, how it's evolved over the years at the school. You mentioned a little bit about how it started with the first um, few beds. And I know even if a student is not in the JMG club, some of the other grade levels are also involved too in other ways during the school time. That's correct. It started out with just a group of fifth graders. So you had to be in fifth grade and you had to be in a special group of fifth graders in order to be in the program. And I started by teaching the curriculum uh, out of the book. And then it grew from there to adding fourth graders the next year. And then we, we expanded by additionally actually adding on the entire kindergarten class. So the kindergarten class does not meet before school. Uh, we do activities during the school day with them. Like recently, they planted wildflower seeds in a wildflower bed that we have. Um, they also plant vegetables in the vegetable beds. They planted uh, carrots and radishes not long ago. Um, so it's starting to introduce them in the beginning of the year of planting and what's involved in that. Um, and then the club itself, it we vary around the entire campus because we have I mean, Butterfly Garden, which is a certified Monarch Way Station, and that has to meet certain requirements. They have to have milkweed for the Monarch Butterfly, and you have to have nectar plants as well. So the JMG group that meets in the morning is the group that's responsible for maintaining that garden as well as the vegetable beds and the native beds in front. So we have quite a lot of activities to do. So it's grown over the years, and we've added more children and more groups. And to answer your other question, we actually do have special presentations during the year by other Master Gardeners that come. They may be a first-grade presentation. We've done presentations for the entire fourth grade, and it's uh, coordinated in with their curriculum. So if they're studying soils, we do presentations just on soils. If they're studying butterflies or the life cycle of a ladybug, we incorporate that with the presentations that we do as well. And it fits right in with the scope and sequence that the teachers have mm -hmm. uh, to follow in their, their guidelines. Mm -hmm. So on that note, Ms. Bucholtz, how do you see the JMG program um, as being a good fit for your school and for the students? And you as a teacher, how does that fit and help to enrich the curriculum that you are working towards? Well, the the students that we have, you know, live in communities, gated communities or little subdivisions. So they're not seeing the farmland and the crops growing and things like that unless they travel. So they don't know where their food comes from. And I think this is helping them to realize that food has to be grown. It has to be tended to. It has to be taken care of if they want to eat. Um, they get very excited when they get to pick something you know, or pull up the carrots or pick a tomato. Um, they, they take a tomato plant home and they come back and they say, I got tomatoes on my plants. Or their moms will send me a picture and we'll put it up on the screen and we'll look at their tomato plants. So I think they're beginning to realize that food doesn't just magically appear. It doesn't just come from the grocery right. store. <laughs> right. Yes. It, has, it had a previous life before it showed up in your shopping cart. And Mary is real good about finding foods that they're not used to seeing, like kale. Um, what were some of those other ones that we planted? Uh, kohlrabi. Yes, and we planted yard-long green beans. beans. And so then she cooks for them, and she brings those foods in, and they try them. And so it kind of opens their eyes that there's something other than the corn and green beans and carrots. We had sweet so. potato pancakes a yes. couple yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> I heard about that one. <laughs> uh -huh. Very good. And it, and I mean, it's research has shown that the more involved that children are in that whole process from seed to plate, when they understand, especially if they do have a garden that they can participate in um, and like what Mary's doing with taking it that step further and preparing the food for them, that they're more likely to try that because they've had a part in it. Or they understand better where it came from, not just, you know, it's in my shopping bag. They saw the whole process from start to finish. So we know, um, like I said, the research shows that they are more apt to test those different things, um, whether they had not seen it before. But if they were part of that process, they're a little bit um, more likely to try something out new, especially when it comes to different vegetables that they may not normally have at home, too. Um I think something you'll find along the way, too, and when Mary told our group about making the sweet potato pancakes and 
some of the other things that, that they've tried before, you'll see that they'll go home and share that, you know, go home and tell mom or dad or tell grandma or grandpa, oh my gosh, today we ate this, this, and this, and I know how to make it now. When we go to the store, can we get this and I'll make it for you? And that's taking it even a further step to get that integrated into their life. Maybe they'll start a new habit with that at home. And something else you don't really realize, there's so much math that's also involved. Uh, Kitchen math is what we call it. So looking at a recipe, how to measure something out. I mean, there's so many different learning pieces that can go into that. Um, Something else that the Junior Master Gardener curriculum is really good at is having a testing card that can go along as you're introducing those different vegetables. So instead of the child just saying automatically, I don't like that, that's gross, I don't want that, they have to grade the vegetable. So they will grade it on the color, on the smell, on the texture, on the taste. Um, Does it have a sweet taste to it? Is it more of like a salty taste to it? Instead of just going to the automatic, I don't like that or that's not for me, they have to put a little bit more thought into it. And like we just said, if they've actually had a part of growing it or seen where it comes from, they're more likely to go ahead and give it a chance. And then next time you come, they're going to ask you, you know, are you bringing the stuff to make sweet potato pancakes? So it's really cool when you get to see those things happen. Um, Laura, tell us a little bit about how this has impacted your own children in the program. What do they get excited for? What do they um, tell you about? What what changes have you maybe seen from them? Um, well, I have two girls. Um, they're much more interested in gardening in general. All of it. They come home and all the plants that we bring home from junior master gardeners we have started a vegetable garden and so of course they have enjoyed getting to watch that grow and um, they take part in it they you know water everything and and we've planted a a wildflower garden and so they've they've loved watching the seeds grow and all the things like that and even even down to bugs (laughs) Um, Mary had given all the kids a little um, container to pick out bugs and so to find the bugs. They've even come home and we've found different bugs in our garden one time and didn't know what it was. So they got their little things out and picked out the bug and we had to get online and look it up <laughs> and trying to find out if it's a good bug or a bad bug. <laughs> and so all just all the things they've learned, they incorporated it at home now and they take an interest in it. And it's just so wonderful to watch to see them use all the things they've learned at JMG and just enjoying the outdoors and just they've learned so much. Yeah, definitely. Um, What, for you as a parent, when you come and are involved there at the school with that club, um, how has that impacted you as a parent, not just with your own children, but seeing some of the other kids that are in the group, um, and you wanting to give your time to that, what makes you keep coming back? I enjoy it, too. <laughs> it's a great way to start Monday mornings. <laughs> I enjoy watching the kids. I enjoy helping the kids. I enjoy helping Mary and Miss Foucault and everybody up there. It's um, it's just so much fun just being there with the kids and knowing what the kids are getting out of it. And I enjoy all of it. <laughs> Good, really good. Um, what, Miss Buchholz, from a teacher standpoint, what are some of the other maybe success stories that you can share from some of your students um, and maybe what some of those other type of impacts or maybe kind of an aha moment that you witnessed or that, that you've seen that's made an impact? Uh, the kids will bring in things that they found, you know, in their yards, it might not be vegetable plants, but they'll bring things in and say, hey, what's this? Or they'll bring bugs in and, you know, we'll figure out what they are. So they're out looking and that's good. Um, I, um, with my own class during the school day in the spring, we plant in the vegetable beds. And so they're involved in everything from the horrible task of weeding, you know, (laughs) to watering, to picking. So they understand that there's a little bit of work to go into it. And sometimes I'll say, okay, we're going to the, the vegetable 
beds this afternoon. Oh, good. Let's, you know, let's see what we've got back there. Sometimes it's, oh, do we have to weed? Yes, we have to weed because that's part of our job. So I think it's building some responsibility. And that kind of can lead in also to pride of ownership Mm -hmm. and even being proud of not just their school community, but the community in which they live. What do you see that they kind of take a little bit of ownership of the grounds at school and where your gardens are? Do they feel um, kind of responsible for it? But and also in a proud way that that's something that kind of can reflect what they've personally been involved in. I think so, because one year we came back from spring break or something and um, some of our plants had been destroyed and they were just outraged. Who would come in there and do that? So I think so. Mm -hmm. And that's an important kind of lesson for them, too. The more that they're involved in it, they kind of take on that little bit of um, not just having the responsibility of tending to it, but then also being proud Mm -hmm. of something that they've done and worked hard. And they know that their friends have worked hard on, too. Yes. And sometimes they'll say, like, um, if their parents are there, can I take my parent out and show them the garden? And so that's that's nice. Something nice for them to get to show off Mm -hmm. and say, you know, look what we did and. Definitely. That's good to hear. Um, Mary, what would you say would be some of your favorite kind of success stories? Or did you see like a light bulb moment with someone, something that's kind of stuck with you? Well, I always enjoy being able to teach the children how to take a little tiny tomato seed and plant it in the greenhouse. And then a week or two later, there's a little plant. And then they get to take it home. So every junior master gardener takes a tomato plant home, and every kindergartner takes a tomato plant home. And we've had a lot of success stories, like pictures like Ms. Buchholz said, or Mrs. Allen has said a teacher uh, who teaches kindergarten has even had a parent bring her a sack full of tomatoes the <laughs> following year. So it's just the enjoyment that I get from seeing the children learn that they can grow their own plants. And we teach them how to take care of them. What, what does a plant need? very basic things. And I try to teach them that we grow things that are uh, acceptable for Montgomery County's weather and conditions, you know, and they don't even think to realize what does a plant need in order to grow. It's just something basic like that. Mm -hmm. And the little kindergartners are so much fun because lots of times they don't even remember planting that carrot seed. (laughs) But two or three months later, when they pull that carrot out of the ground, they're just amazed. The smile on their face. Like, wow, I grew this carrot. It's, you know, it's just a lot of satisfaction that I get from teaching mm-hmm. them how to grow their own food and how to take care of the environment, you know, and what, what all good we're doing by teaching them how to grow. Maybe someday they'll have their own garden at their own house. Definitely. I think like what you were talking about mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the, the kids taking that back home and then it also can be something that's positive to build with their family. And then they'll kind of like what you just said, Mary, that maybe they'll carry that on into their future. And maybe that could be another tradition that they start in the years to come with their own family or at home. So it's there's so many different things that come into it. The academic part of what they're learning through the gardening education, because you have so much science, you have so much math. Um, There's pieces that go into language arts, um, service learning, leadership. It all kind of gets tied back and then making that connection to where their food comes from. And then, you know, hopefully that will spark something, an interest at home, that then that's something that as a family we can do and that we can enjoy and not just, um, you know, gosh, mom's going to make me come out and I have to pull the weeds. and But they see the enjoyment and that there's a purpose of why we have to go out and pull the weeds. So you're making all of these really life-learning connections when you look at a program like this. If there were some other schools or other groups that work with students, you've told them so much today of why this could be super important for them as well. What's something else that you would say to encourage them um, to think about this? What groups have been helpful in getting this program to where it is at your campus? Mention a little bit about the PTO. Well, yes, the PTO, along with um, the, the first principal at this campus, was very inspiring at getting the PTO involved, along with the faculty and area businesses. 
So they came together and they actually called in master gardeners and I think maybe one or two master naturalists and got the program going. So they had fundraisers at carnivals. They had a t-shirt drive. Um, they had parents that brought soil and they had master gardeners that came along and gave presentations and donated plants. So it was a combination effort, um, all kind of inspired by the principal starting it and giving everybody kind of a little gardening bug, so to speak, to want to get them motivated uh, to get the program going. And, you know, some of the areas at school was started because it was an eyesore. So the Monarch Way Station, that, that is the butterfly garden, was started because it was an eyesore. It was a place where the wind just blew in trash, and it was not very pleasant to look at. So she turned that into a butterfly garden. So something simple like that. Um, but this program really wouldn't be possible without support of teachers like Ms. Buchholz uh, and Mrs. Allen. We have a wonderful group of parents. We have Laura here. We have at least three parents that come every week. We have other master gardeners that come. So it's a group effort of several people. But the support of the school, I think, is one of the most important things. Mm -hmm. You know, having teachers and staff on board that want to be involved in a gardening program like Junior Master Gardening. And our principal now, Mrs. Ray, um, I can go to her and say, okay, we want to do this. And she says, go for it. So we have we have mm -hmm. her support. Definitely so, we do. Mm -hmm. And that's always a good plus to have that support mm -hmm. from your campus. And Miss um, Buchholz, what would you say to maybe um, a newer teacher that's coming in and they may think, this kind of sounds like something I might want to do, but I don't know if I can keep plants alive and... You know, I just don't quite know yet. As an experienced teacher and you've been doing this program for so long, what's maybe a, a couple of tips that you would tell to someone that's thinking about it, but they're just not quite sure what they'd be getting into? That's really hard because so many people say, oh, I can't grow. I don't have a green thumb. And I say, well, just come, you know, and we'll teach you. So we have um, a third grade teacher that loves basil. And she kept saying, I can't grow it. I can't grow. Every year I gave her some basil and that we had started in the greenhouse. And um, last year she grew it all year long. She had it. So um, it just takes that. Well, how are you doing? You know, come on, let's let's do this. Let's try this. And just to keep encouraging them. Um, and eventually maybe they'll they'll come around to it. Mm -hmm. So I think she had that teacher has even built a little bed in her backyard now and has some plants in it so that's another success that's story. another success <laughs> definitely yes. and, and the way how the curriculum was developed um there's not a requirement that a school has a school garden to do the program so when we start with some schools they may not be to that point yet or it could maybe be a newer campus or maybe they've had um maybe a new pto or pta that is just kind of getting on their feet and thinking how they could possibly help with something like this. So, you know, don't think that just because you don't have a garden at this point that this is not something you can do because there's plenty of things that can do that's going to build up to that. It's definitely not an overnight that we're going to have all of these things out here. Um, you started with a greenhouse too. We've had schools that called and maybe someone donated a greenhouse before or someone gave them something and they're not quite sure where to start. So it's a process and right. it, it you don't have to have a full active garden going. And, and a good part of that is that when you actually do involve the students in the planning of it too, and that kind of builds in that ownership again. So for teachers or anyone that's listening, don't think that you have to have this wonderful, great garden going at this point. There's always a great starting point. Right. You could start with container gardens or terrariums. We do the soda bottle terrariums. Um, and we have been very blessed with our Boy Scouts and Girl Scout troops coming to help us rebuild beds and, um, get some things, you know, going to add some beds. So there's so many resources out there that you can tap into. And there's a lot of ways for um, people in the community to help. Even when we just look at our Master Gardener Association, there's plenty of volunteers that may not um, be ready to go in and teach a group of first graders or second graders, but they have some other great skills and abilities that they can come in and help with. So there's always kind of something that can make a fit for whatever your own interest or skills are. Um, so if you're that person that thinks you kill every plant that you get a hold of, 
you can maybe come out and help pull those weeds <laughs> or help with some of those other things or um, helping to secure some donations or even things like that. How's that been helpful with the community helping with that part? Well, we have been very fortunate. Um, we have a local Home Depot store in Magnolia that has donated a just tremendous amount of items to the gardening program at Bear Branch, uh, soil yards as well. Sometimes just a local business will want to give a cash donation. Um, we were fortunate about three years ago, we had some local businesses um, donate money to put in a rainwater harvesting tank. So the children can see how we collect water off of the greenhouse, goes into the tank, and it feeds the vegetable beds. You know, so there, there has been a tremendous support. And like Ms. Buchholz said, the Boy Scouts have rebuilt the vegetable beds two years in a row now. And so they're very good at, at helping out the school and, you know, big support. The PTO actually has been too. Um, if we ever have a need, usually they're always there to help. And like you said, even the Master Gardening Group, you don't have to want to work with children you could come and fix a bed or uh, do weeding, something yeah. like that. So there's always something that, um, that we can work on. Thank you, ladies, so much for coming in. We're kind of out of time at this point in our show. Thank you for listening to us on the Extension Hour, and we hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for checking out this podcast of Lone Star Community Radio, Montgomery County's community radio station. If you enjoyed this recording, make sure to check out our past shows online at IRLoneStar.com or their respective video or podcast formats on YouTube, Google Play, or iTunes. If you have any questions regarding the show, either it being about sponsorships or questions for the host, contact the station manager at D-I-C-K at IRLoneStar.com or call the station at 936 647 3776. This show was recorded in downtown Conroe, Texas at the Lone Star Community Radio Studio. And Lone Star Community Radio reserves all rights to this recording and images. <laughs>